0: We're starting a new series today called My Story, and what we want you to see is uh, for the next three weeks, we're going to have people sharing their story. They'll be sharing uh, the story of their life, the story of how God's touched them. You can see on the back, these are the couples that are going to be sharing, and also you will see a short sentence Uh, about their story kind of a summary of what it means so what we'd like for you to do over the next few weeks is just join us uh, for that for that series we'll be starting uh, today and then the next three weeks going through october uh, that series will be uh, happening so we'd love for you to join us in those in the next three weeks and hear those stories of grace i've heard the stories they're incredible stories. If you'll look at the card when you get it, you can look at the service times on one side, and then you can look at the, um, uh, the statements uh, on the other side of the couple, the date, and a little bit about their story. And maybe you know somebody who those stories would uh, really uh, impact. And so I just, you can invite people to come on those days. So I want to thank you for that, and thank you for being here today. Um, as you get those cards, just take a look at it. I want to share 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 with you this morning because it is kind of the verse that really sets up the entire series so that we can uh, talk about what's going to be happening in the next few weeks. 2 Corinthians 3, 3 says, you, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart so in other words what this verse says is god's grace is revealed through our lives we are we are letters each one of us is a letter that god wrote to the world and he writes on our stories he writes his grace he writes his love he writes his work he writes his care he he writes on our lives it puts on display the grace and love of God. And so that's what this whole series is going to be about. For the next month, you're just going to be hearing people's story. And you can see through their story how much God loves us. You can see through the story what God is, uh, wants to do, what God wants to say, uh, how, how much God cares for each one of us individually. So if you're a guest today, we're so glad you came and uh, would just like for you to join us for that series in the next three weeks. I want to start today uh, just by sharing my story. So I'm just going to kind of walk you back through the story of my life and how I came to know God and how I came to follow Him. Uh, And then in the next few weeks, you'll hear other people's story. I was uh, born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. And so um, I grew up uh, knowing all about Elvis Presley. At the peak of Elvis Presley, you know, everything... Was Elvis? You know, there was uh, there were Elvis sightings. You know, 20 years after he died, we still have an Elvis sightings. And uh, the Lisa Marie airplane, and you know, the rejected lost son of Elvis would show up on the radio, and they do these little skits. And so I was submerged in this culture. You know, I grew up imitating Elvis that I won't you know do for you today. But I grew up, <laughs> up imitating Elvis, and you know, "Hunka Hunka Burning Love" and "Hound Dog," and you know, everything was Elvis where I was raised. So. I grew up at the peak of that. I also grew up in the aftermath of the uh, shooting of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, those, those were two things that really sort of marked our city. And uh, my mom was a secretary at the local high school. My dad worked on a dredge boat in the Mississippi River, and so he'd be gone for days at a time. And then he had a seasonal work that he'd be in and out on. We were a lower class uh, uh, family. We didn't have a lot of money. Uh, when I was about six years old, uh, I, had a, I had a real struggle with alcohol. To be fair, it only lasted for about 15 minutes, uh, but it, I remember it. It was a challenge in my life. My dad was out cutting the grass, and he drank, and he set a beer down on something, and I thought, here's my chance. I've been wanting to try this for a long time. So I'm going to bolt over there. When he's not looking, I'm going to try it. I ran over there. It was a hot summer day in Memphis. And I took that sweaty little beer and I turned it up. And I, I must have been, you know, panicking to try to get it down before he saw me. Because it like shot out my nose and burned everything inside me. I almost threw up. And I said, I quit. I'm done. I'm not doing that anymore. And, and uh, so that broke the great bondage of alcohol in my life in that four minutes. Uh, and I never went back. Um. Uh, But uh, I I did grow up in a church setting. Uh, My mom always took me to church on Sunday morning. We had a small church. My great-grandfather had started that church, and, uh, man, things were tight there. I mean, things were not, you know, things were tight, if you have any of that background. We had the little plaque on the wall that told us how many people were there and how much money everybody gave and how many guests were there. I don't think we needed it. I mean, when 40 was on there, it was a big day. You know, you could kind of look around and count. And uh, we sang out of the hymn book, and we had the guy who would stand up front and give you this right here, you know. And I wasn't musical. I didn't know what... I thought he was swatting something for a long time. I didn't know what that was. We had the little felt paper Bible stories. Um, half the church were relatives of mine, distant. And it was just very dry and, and, and boring and, uh, you know, I was just kind of there biding my time. Well, I came from a very dysfunctional family. Um, there was a lot of cursing and a lot of yelling and a lot of verbal and emotional abuse in my home. And it was just like, a, like living in a pressure cooker. Everything you did was wrong, and one day it would be right and the next day it would be wrong, and it was very unpredictable and hard to deal with. Uh, when I was about maybe 10 or 11... My mom broke under the pressure and she took a bunch of pills and she walked into a Kmart and she passed out and she tried to kill herself. She was just trying to escape. And the, somebody called an ambulance and they got her to the hospital and they pumped her stomach and was able to save her life. But she was just trying to get out of the pressure that we, we all lived in. I lived in a very fearful environment. Um, I was a painfully shy child. How ironic that God would ask me to do something like this. I was a very pain, painfully shy. I was the kid when you meet a family that always hid behind my parents and held their leg. And all you could see is their little face. That was me. When relatives would come over, you know, I'd run and hide. And I don't know why. It was, very, it was awkward. And so I would wait for, you know, the atmosphere to warm up a little bit. And then I'd kind of creep out. Then say, oh, there he is. And I'd go run and hide again. Because I was like, no, I'm not here. Like, I worked all this time for you not to notice me, and the first thing that happens at all the room is you notice me. And so I was very, very shy. Um, that shyness uh, turned into outright panicking fear by the time I was an early teenager. I, our home was filled with fear and some levels of paranoia. And I can remember as a 13-year-old, when my parents would leave me at home by myself, there were, there were several times... I would hide behind the front door with a loaded shotgun because I was so afraid. I, I just was convinced that something was going to go wrong and somebody was going to come and get me. And, and uh, I, was, I was fearful out of my mind and uh, panicking. And I would have, I don't know if it, you'd call it panic attacks, but I'd have waves of fear when they were gone. And it was a suffocating type of life for me to live. And, and I was filled with anger. I can remember when I was in about 6th grade, um, we had a substitute teacher one day, and I was the kind of kid that when I got mad, you could watch a color line go from my scalp all the way down my face. You know how they show that on cartoons? Like, I was that real human. And, and I would go into fits of anger that were so outrageous. I, I remember being so mad a couple times, I lost my vision. Like, I blacked out, and I, did, I couldn't even see. I was just raging angry, throwing things, tearing things up, just filled with anger, filled with anger, and, and becoming part of what my environment had shown me. And I can remember a substitute teacher in sixth grade one day, you know, I was a little bottle rocket waiting to go off, and I don't remember what happened. I got in trouble somehow, probably for talking or doing something I wasn't supposed to do. And so she said, you know, West over there in the corner at the desk remember i don't know if they allow that anymore that's you know public shame and 14 people will get sued if you do something like that but you know over there in the corner go sit at the desk so i went and sat over there and i was just i was i could feel my teeth grinding in my mouth and i was just fuming and in my house anger was something that people were very intimidated by so i had learned that that anger is something people are supposed to be intimidated by and I don't know who this lady. I don't remember her name. I don't know who she was. I don't know if she ever subbed again. Maybe she did. I just don't remember her. But I remember this little substitute teacher lady came over and pulled a chair up. She scraped it across the floor and pulled it right to the opposite side of my little box desk and put her elbows on it and put her hand on her her chin on her uh, hands and looked me right in the eye. And she wasn't intimidated at me at all. She wasn't afraid. Anger didn't mean anything to her. And she said, why are you so mad? And I looked at her and I said, because whatever. You know, it wasn't my fault or whatever it was I was saying. And she said, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about what happened 10 minutes ago. I'm talking about you. Why are you so mad? And I looked at her and I wanted to absolutely punch her right in the face. I'm telling you the truth. I, I can remember that feeling, but knowing if I did, my dad would beat the living daylights out of me, and I wanted to punch her in the head. A woman, what, you don't know me. What are you doing in this room? And who gives you the right to ask me a personal question like that? And she just looked at me, and she said, why? And I didn't answer. I stared at her. It just made me more angry. And she walked away and said, well there's anything I can do to help you, I'm here. She walked away, and I never talked to her again that I can remember. But when she left, I started to ask myself the question, Why are you so mad? She's not mad. Looked around the room, nobody else was mad. I was the only one that was mad. I thought, why am I so mad? And God really used that moment to start to show me myself. He really used that moment to try to help me. Well, by the time I was around 12 or 13, I quit going to that little church because it was, it was just old and boring and it was nothing there for me. And I quit and my mom couldn't make me go to church anymore and my dad wouldn't make me and so she couldn't make me without his support. So I just stayed home. I wasn't mad, I just didn't want to go anymore. And so I dropped out and quit. And when I was about uh, 15 years old, I had some friends that invited me to their church from school. They invited me to their youth group. And so I went with them once. You know, it was some kind of, I don't know what it was, scavenger hunt, something goofy. And I went and we ran all over the city chasing stuff and ate pizza hamburgers. I don't even know what that's a thing. We ate that. And uh, then I went back. And then they invited me to their church on Sunday, and I went back. And I just kept going back, and they would sort of pursue me. Hey, you coming? It's tomorrow. Yeah, okay, all right, all right. Hey, you coming? Yeah, I'll go, all right. My parents would drop me off sometimes. Somebody else would give me a ride. And I just kept going. And and the anger and the fear and the um, the emptiness just filled my life. I was full of anger. I was full of fear. I was... I was so painfully empty on the inside. Nothing, nothing there. No, no purpose. No desire. Just sort of numb. Just sort of fading out. My, my sister had already left home at 17. She was older than I was, but she left at 17 to get away. Try to get out of all the stuff. And so here these friends are reaching out to me. And um, I kept going. And about, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the morning when I was about 15, I just overwhelmed with pressure and anger and fear and emptiness. I remember watching TV and staying up late. My parents had been in bed. And I went in the living room in my parents' house where they still live today. And I knelt down in that little living room. And I didn't even know if God was real. I didn't even know if he was real, if he cared. If he did care, I didn't know if he cared about anybody like me. And so I knelt down. And I said, God, I'm miserable. I'm miserable. I'm afraid all the time. And I'm angry. And I'm empty. If, I remember I said it just like this. If you're real. If you're real. I don't even know. I know there was a church thing. I know I started to see a difference between this church I was going to with my friends and my own life, and it just was a contrast. It was different, and I didn't know how to reconcile it, but I said, God, if you're, if you're real, I don't want to go on like this anymore. I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. Would you do something? Would you forgive me? Would you change me? Would you clean me? Would you do something? I don't even know what to ask you to do, but I'm done, and I'm at the end, and I don't want to go on another day like I am, and I just prayed, and I literally, as much as I knew how, I just took everything inside of me, and I just laid it out on the floor. I said, God, here, if you're real, I'm just going to take a chance. Do something then. And that night, I just prayed till I was empty. And I don't know, after a while, I went off to bed. And I didn't feel anything different. I didn't notice anything different. I just had unloaded all that. But here's what happened. The next day, I was a little lighter. And in the next couple of weeks, my life started to change. The fear started to wash away. And the anger started to, to calm down. And the emptiness started to be filled with passion. And I felt something I had never known in my life. I had known moments of happiness. I had never known joy. Joy came into my life. I started to enjoy life. And I started to enjoy the church I was going to, and I started to enjoy my friendships, and I started to enjoy a lot of things I'd never, i just endured. And I started to have joy, and I had peace, and for the first time in my life, I was content. In my soul, there was a contentment at 15 years old that I had never known, didn't really know what to do with it. And so for, for weeks and months, My life just seemed to change a little bit every day and I didn't know how it was going to happen or or if or when. It just kept happening. And it was an absolute wonderful time in my life. I came to know God. I came to know that He loved me. I came to know that He heard that prayer. And 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 the next few years was just, I just learned so many things about Him. And so it became obvious to me through a lot of different circumstances that God had called me to be a pastor, so I went off to college to train to be a pastor. Now what was incredible is I was the first uh, male in my family to ever graduate high school. I was the first person in my family to ever attend college, and I didn't really want to, but. A principal that I had was kind enough to tell me, if God called you to ministry, then God called you to prepare for ministry. You need to go prepare. All right. So I did. And really, it was his advice that changed my mind. I was just going to start. I don't know what that I was going to go on the street corner and have to be one of them guys with the bullhorn yelling at everybody, you know, with a sign. You know what I'm saying? Turn or burn, baby! Repent! You know, I, I don't know what would have happened to me. Fortunately, I had people who knew more than I did. And he kind of steered me the right way. So I went off to college. And um, I wasn't really thrilled about being called to be a pastor. By the time I went to college, I was. Because I, I never really wanted to be a pastor. And I was struggling with this idea of being a pastor. I, 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 the only pastor I'd never known was my great-grandfather. And I loved him and I respected him, but I didn't want to be him. And... and and then I knew my pastor at my new church, and I respected him and loved him. He's a great person, I bet I didn't want to be him. And I never, I was struggling with that idea. And I can remember one night in a prayer time. We were at a, a prayer time, and my, my high school basketball coach's wife, when we were praying, uh, all, a bunch of us were praying, she said, I feel like uh, God wants me to tell you something. And she said it in a way like she was reading from something. But she wasn't reading from anything. She didn't have anything in front of her. And, and she said something like this. This is what God wants you to know. He created you. He made you. Do not fear. Well, that was a big deal to me. Because I had dealt a lot of fear. I've called you by name. You're mine. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. When you pass through the river, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And she said that to me, and I thought, you know, that's comforting, but I don't, like, I feel like there's more to it than I understand. It's comforting, but I know what to do with it. So I just thought, awesome. (laughs) You ever have one of those moments where you think something spiritual might be happening, but you're not sure, and you go, cool. You know, I, I don't know what it means, but rocking, you know, lasered right in on you, maybe one day this will make sense. And that chance it didn't take long. The next day, I went to a Bible study that was led by my best friend who didn't know that any of this happened. And at lunch at our high school, she stood to read her devotional and she said, last night when I was praying I felt like God put this verse on my heart to read today and share from. And And I didn't even know any of this was in the Bible. I had not read the Bible hardly at all. And she read Isaiah 43, 1 and 2, that says this. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name. uh, By name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And I went, wait a minute. I've heard this somewhere before. And it was nearly line for line what she had told me the night before. And I went, whoa. Did you talk? No, I wasn't there. Did you? know? No, I didn't know any of that. So I went up after the devotional told her, I didn't know this was in the Bible. She said, I don't know. I just That's what I was praying. That's what I felt. So I brought it and read it. And now it's starting to mean more to me. Because I said, okay, God, the coach's wife isn't talking to me. My friend's not talking to me. I actually think you're talking to me. So I went off to college to train for uh, ministry. And I met this blonde-haired, blue-eyed little dime. <laughs> and... Uh, we had this friendship. We started as friends. And it was a great friendship that went on for several months. But I remember we were out in front of the snack bar one, one day, and she dropped a folder, and it was like one of those goofy TV shows. We both bent down to get it and bumped noses. And you know how something that small, you go, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just kind of gives you a little, a little something. Felt a little shiver in my spine. A little something in here. Thought, <laughs> oh, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of, you know, my friend's kind of cool. Kind of interesting. She's kind of pretty. She smells good. <laughs> so There's a couple of little, little things. And, and we met a few feet away from where her mom and dad had met decades before us. At the same college. I didn't know that. Her family was the exact opposite of mine. We had never had any physical sickness in our family, but we had a lot of other kind of sickness. And her family had a lot of physical sickness, but didn't have, but was so emotionally healthy and was so alive. And man, when I met her family, I was like, wow, I didn't, this is incredible. And her dad was an absolute nut. He, (laughs) if you know him. First time we went to their house, we were throwing frisbee out in the yard, and he took a big stick that was bowed like that, and he said, look, a bow and arrow. And he said, no, it's bullhorns. He put them on his head and tried to ram me in the, in the road. <laughs> I went, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know. How, and I think he was in his dress shoes, you know. I, thought, I don't really know how to read this. And so we married, and uh, we finished college and went into ministry, and we spent six of the best years of our entire life uh, ironically, in a little town called Niceville. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Don't say God doesn't have a sense of humor. And, and it fit. I, I actually remember being on an elevator with a guy one time, and he saw my little logo on there. I was at a church conference, you know, and he said, Niceville? Why you need a church in a place like Niceville? And I said, I think maybe the old life came out of me. I said, because nice people go to hell, too. not about being nice or mean I'm just saying there's something else here so but it was everything it sounded like the pastor and his wife were everything we needed they were so good to us and they were so kind to us and they layers of stuff that she had grown up with from the dysfunction of her family sickness and layers of stuff that had not come off me yet from my own pains just sort of evaporated because we experienced something I'm not sure we'd ever known in that in that wide of a scale the unconditional love of God that pastor and his wife just loved us and I thought you know what I don't think I can get fired I mean I, I'm not sure what I would have to do this guy and his wife they and it And that security, that unconditional love that we felt, just healed us, and it was glorious and golden and incredible, and we experienced that. A few years later, after serving there, we moved to uh, the coast of Mississippi. And we served there uh, for about eight eight to nine years. And driven by Hurricane Katrina, a 34-foot storm surge came ashore, and did mass destruction to our area. 2,000 people died. It was the greatest natural disaster in U.S. history. Um, The strike zone was the size of Great Britain. It was unbelievable. And so for four and a half years, we served in the aftermath of Katrina, helping people rebuild their lives and homes and church and all of that. And about a year and a half after Katrina, our five-year-old was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. We had no idea what that meant, and, and some of you may not know what that means. That meant that we had to go on a regiment of checking blood sugars ten times a day. One of those checks is at 2 a.m. in the morning. We had to start giving him four shots a day. And about a year later, we had to send him off to school and figure out how we'd coordinate his shots through a nurse that we just met and if you get that wrong you go to the hospital and so um, it was It was, you know when you sit in a restaurant with a bottle of medicine and you take a syringe and put in it and start pulling medicine down and people start turning around and looking at you it's a it's a it's a awkward life to live and one day about six months into this um, I was calling for him because it was time to give a shot and I couldn't find him. And he was hiding under the dining room table. And he was hiding because he didn't want to take shots anymore. When you've got to coax your own child out of hiding to take a shot that will save their life, it's a really bad day. It's just a really bad day. So in 2009... Pastor Ron and Suzanne and many of you welcomed us here and we came and have been here since 2009. We stood in 35 years of incredible leadership and legacy. 2011, our older son, who was 13 at the time, was then diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and uh, which only happens 5% of the time. Siblings rarely ever contract this, that particular disease. Because it's not hereditary and it doesn't run in our family and nobody we know that's related to any of us have ever had it but somehow at 13 he got it and being 13 is hard enough without a disease and a few years after that I noticed that uh, Stacy began to exhibit um, strange behavior outside of her own character and I knew something was wrong but I I wasn't sure what was wrong And I wondered, had all the years, you know, of Katrina and living in all that mess and working all the time and caring for a little five-year-old and then caring for another child with diabetes, had all that caught up with her? Was she just starting to break down because of all that? I I didn't know the answer at the time. We were sitting at lunch one day, and I looked across at her, And I saw a delay on her face. And in that moment. My heart sunk. And I knew what was wrong. My worst fears had come to pass. I didn't know what to do about it. And I didn't want to tell her. Because I wanted her to live without knowing that. As long as she could. So I sort of worked it out the best I could for months. To try to help her so she she had Huntington's disease which is like Parkinson's but it's more aggressive and it attacks younger so months went by and she and I were seeing a counselor because we were trying to just trying to hold everything together try to work it all out we're still taking care of the boys who were both diabetic still trying to be a pastor and still trying to figure this out behind the scenes we were celebrating our anniversary one night at dinner and um, I remember sitting there thinking, she didn't know, and I knew. And I remember sitting there thinking, uh, this disease, what it does is it impairs your memory over time. And I thought, I don't know how many times we're going to be able to sit like this and share memories. So I tried to pull every memory out of her I could for, for two hours. We just shared. Do you remember when, you know, we moved? Do you remember when our kids were young? Do you remember this? Do you remember that? And it was a wonderful time in one way, but it was a painful time for me because it was what it was. So for the last 11 years, our family has lived in a lot of crisis. And about a year and a half ago, I came to a breaking point. I just, I had given all I could give. I had hidden all I could hide. And I had worked as hard as I could work. And I was emotionally and physically and mentally exhausted. I was just depressed. I was discouraged. I was overwhelmed. And a friend of mine who doesn't know most of this story called me and said, You know, last night at dinner I was thinking about you and this scripture came to mind and I think God gave it to me for you and I'd like to read it. And so on the other end of the phone, here's what I heard. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I've redeemed you. I've summoned you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And she said, I don't know if that means anything to you. I said, oh my gosh, Does it mean anything to me? And, and I stood in my driveway holding the phone to my ear, and I just cried because I said, God, you haven't forgotten me. You know you're here. You remember. You love me. And here's what I didn't know when I was 17, and that coach's wife said, I feel like God wants me to say this to you. And I heard it, and I went, Oh, that's good, but I don't really know what that means. I mean, I know I've grew up in fear, but I don't know what that means. And when she read that, I look back now all of these years and I know what it means. Here's what it means. A 34-foot storm surge wave came across the city I lived in and it didn't drown me. The fire of disease and harsh circumstances didn't consume me. God knew my life from the beginning and prepared me even when I didn't know I was being prepared. I thought when I was 17, God said, don't be afraid, don't, don't, do not fear. I thought what he meant was, I'm not going to let anything scary happen to you again. <laughs> well that was wrong because a lot of scary things have happened to me. Now I know what he meant was scary things are going to happen to you, but I'm with you. And let me tell you what I've learned about that. I've learned that it's better to face scary things and know that God's with you than not know that God's with you. That's what I've learned. I was the little boy who would hide behind his parents' pant leg. I never wanted to be brave. I never asked to be brave. I was a lover, not a fighter. But God made me brave. And He made me brave through loving me. I thought it was grit that made you braver or Determination that made you brave It's God's love that makes you brave And 1 John tells us Love drives out all fear And God's love I'm not saying I never have fear But I'm not in bondage to fear I'm not saying I don't have moments of fear But I don't live in fear I'm not saying I don't have thoughts that scare me I have thoughts that scare me But I'm not dominated. I don't make decisions. I don't react out of fear. Because God's love has helped me. So, you know, for the last two years, so many of you have said, I'm praying for you. And I don't know why about two years ago this started to happen when you would say or anybody would say, I'm praying for you, I would cry. It was so moving to me. I don't know all the reasons why, but it was so moving to me that you would take your own prayer life or your relationship with God, and you would focus it on us. And I would just cry. I remember one Sunday I was standing here. Somebody said it to me. I turned around and walked 10 feet, and somebody else said it, and I cried again. I thought, I have to stop this. But here's what I've learned through your prayers And through mine. I've learned that prayer is the only answer. I'm not saying prayer won't provide answers. Prayer provides answers. God answers in many ways. But prayer is the key. Like prayer is the thing that establishes those things. And so this morning as we end today. We're going to pray. And I want to encourage you. If you're here. And maybe you feel the emptiness that I did, or you have issues with fear, or anger, or addiction, or maybe God's not forgiven you, or you haven't accepted His forgiveness, or you've been living away from Him for a long time, I want to encourage you today. Prayer's the answer. So, in a few minutes, we're going to pray. But I want to, I'm sorry, would you bring the lights back up just for a minute? And I want to ask Connor, would you, would you come and join me, please? Would you bring the lights back up just a little bit, please? Because I, I want to show you something today. Here's what I want you to know. If God loves us, He loves you. If God can help us, He can help you. I love Kingwood Church because we're a group of people who's had about everything thrown at us that can be thrown at us so there's not a lot of judgment here there's not a lot of legalism It's not a lot of you know <laughs> there's a lot of grace because it's taken a lot there's a lot of forgiveness because it's taken a lot there's not any shame here this is a safe place if we can live here with the challenges that we've had you can too So I just wanted you to kind of see where life hasn't turned out in every way like we thought it would. But God's good. And he's kept us. And here we are today, standing here sharing his love. standing now and I'm going to ask our prayer team if you'd come and I want to ask everybody to close their eyes and I just want to ask you to turn your heart toward prayer now because I know this because I've lived it and I know this because I've talked to a lot of people there's a lot of people in this room and you have everything's not perfect and you have some things that you're struggling with what we came to tell you today is you know god loves you we sang it we talked about it we prayed it so with every eye closed if you're here this morning and you say you know what i'm at a point in my life that i'm very discouraged and circumstances have built up on me and maybe maybe you're just overwhelmed with every eye closed would you just say when you pray today would you pray for me Would you lift your hand and say, man, I'm dealing, I'm I'm discouraged. It's overwhelming right now. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Hey, man, I've been there. Oh, man, I've been there. I've been there too, too many times. If you're here and you say, you know what? I'm kind of like you were. I'm dealing with fear. I have a lot of fear in my life and panic. And maybe it overwhelms you and sometimes controls you. Would you just lift your hand and say, when you pray, would you pray for me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No shame. This is a safe place. Nobody's going to judge you here, I promise. They'd have to judge me first. Yeah. Yeah, I see it. And the balcony. Yeah. I just, just wait for you for a minute. It's a good spot. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm dealing with that emptiness that you talked about. And it's time for me to turn my life over to God. It's time for me to just give it all to Him. Whether, whether you, are, you know, are a Christian or not or whatever, but that's, that's where you are. It's time for me to turn my life over to God. Would you pray for me today when you pray? Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me, I'm, I'm ready today to turn my life over to God. It's time. It's time for me to give this to Him. It's time for me to empty. Yeah, I saw your hand. Somebody else. Just lift it up. Yeah, would you pray for me when you're praying today? Oh, yeah, yes, yes. Yes, I saw it. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm just looking on the floor right now. Just lift your... I, I'm. Man, I'm with you. I remember. Yes, I see your hand. I mean, I I, I. I remember how that feels. I lived it. I know it. And I'm telling you, God loves you. In the balcony, if that's you, you say, you know what, just pray for me today. It's time for me to turn my life over to God. It's time for me to... It's time for me to... Pray like you did when you were at 15. Would you lift your hand in the balcony if that's you? Say, yeah, that's me. Just remember me when you pray today. Lift your hand. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I'm, I'm struggling to know whether God loves me or not. Would you lift your hand and say, would you pray for me today? I'm struggling on that whole thing with God's love because I'm going through some stuff and I don't really know if he loves me or not. Would you lift your hand now? Just lift your hand. Yep, yeah, I see it yeah it's okay to be honest man I've been there I've wondered God do you where are you at do you see this yeah thank you here's what I want to ask you to do in just a minute the worship team is going to just sing lightly and as they do I want to ask you to, to, just to take a big step I just want you to let someone pray for you that's all we want to encourage you. We want to pray for you. We want to bless you. We want to see you live the life that God wants you to live. We want to see you free and strong and, I, and I guess, brave. And <laughs> We want to see you full of joy because that's what God wants. So if you lifted your hand in a minute, I'm just going to ask you to come and let the prayer team pray for you. And the worship team's going to sing lightly. And we're just going to have a time where we pray for a few minutes. And that's it. We're done. Then we're going to dismiss. And we're going to share a great picnic together. If you lifted your hand with every eye closed, would you just, I want you just to step out right now. I've learned those steps don't work unless you do them immediately. Just come on right now. It doesn't have to be. Just come now. You're safe here. We just want to love you and pray for you. Come on right now. Come on right now. Come on. Come on. You didn't even have to raise your hand. It doesn't matter. Would you just come right now? You just want somebody to pray with you. The balcony will wait for you. Come on. Take a risk. I want to just let, let God be God the day of your life. Take a chance. Take a risk. Reach out, man. I'm so glad when I was 15, even though I didn't feel like much was happening, when I dove into my carpet in the living room at 2 a.m. And I said, God, if you're real, can I tell you, he's changed everything about my whole life. There's n- nothing that's the same. And it's because of him. If, uh, if we have some more prayer team, would, would you guys come? Would you come right here? Here? It's just, I'm just telling you, man. This is the moment where God starts to put life back together right here and here. This is the thing. I've learned that prayer is what makes it all work, you know? Prayer is what makes it work. People are making decisions right now. Things are changing right now lives are being touched I want to, as these are praying, I want to pray with you, and then we'll be dismissed. You know, I've been in moments like these and sort of hesitated, and I want you to know there's no hoops to jump through here. This morning, if you want to pray like I did in my living room, right where you are, I want to pray with you right where you are and so if you close your eyes if you're here today and you say you know what would you just pray with me I need to invite Jesus into my life I need His touch, I need His forgiveness I'm just going to walk you through a prayer and we're going to pray together dear Jesus I invite you into my life this morning I turn away from the problems I turn away from the bad choices I've made and I turn to you and I lay down all those things at your feet and I ask you today to fill me with your presence to forgive me to wash me clean me make me a new person now Lord give me the strength to walk with you